Have a seat. Um, this is, uh, begins the week of prayer for North American missions. And uh, there's a visual here before you. This cross will have Easter lilies on it. And each Easter lily represents an increment of offering that's been received. So we've got a video now that we want to kick this off with this week. Whatever she heard a need on the mission field, I think she went there to get first-hand knowledge of that situation and then came home and tried to rally people to meet that situation. In the 1880s, Annie Armstrong was plotting new courses for home missions in America. From the time she became a Christian at age 20, Annie worked to see the good news of Jesus Christ carried everywhere. In her world, she didn't have to look hard to find chances to be an on-mission Christian. The directions that she took Southern Baptist women more than 100 years ago can still be felt today. It was here in Annie's hometown of Baltimore that she first saw the needs that would drive her avid interest in missions. Baltimore is a port city. Here she saw the immigrants fresh off the boats. For the rest of her life, her local missions included ministry to those immigrant women and children. But Annie's vision did not stop in Baltimore. She traveled extensively in the southeast and journeyed into the west visiting churches and missions, seeing firsthand the needs across our nation. Annie was a prolific letter writer, and when she returned from her trips, she would plead with Isaac Tishner, executive secretary of the Home Mission Board, to act on mission needs in America. Each day, Annie reminded Tishner that there were new opportunities and new frontiers of mission involvement. The missionaries there are in vital need of some more missionary boxes. We must send them immediately. If we do not greet all of the people coming from the East Coast with the gospel, they will be greeted by those who own the saloons. Utah Place Baptist Church was home to much of Annie's work and ministry over the years. Her biographers believe one of the reasons she enjoyed this church so much is because it involved women in ministry from the very beginning. We have a great and mighty task before us, the task of winning this world to King Emmanuel. Through the encouragement of denominational leaders, Annie organized women and helped establish an auxiliary organization to the Southern Baptist Convention in 1888, the Women's Missionary Union. She rallied with Southern Baptist women for missions to immigrants, African Americans, and Native Americans. Her heartfelt work, along with Tishner's leadership, created change. At the turn of the century, the board appointed its first secretary in charge of African American work. We must go forward let us pray together under annie armstrong's leadership southern baptist women became a powerful force and a major supporter of home missions the wmu established a week of prayer and self-denial which is now our week of prayer for north american missions and they named the special offering for north american missions the annie armstrong easter offering when Annie Armstrong died in 1938, her pastor called her a woman of great faith, a dreamer in action. Could Annie ever have imagined the impact her offering would have on the United States and now Canada in bringing the lost to Christ? It's hard to believe she could have. And yet, on May 24, 1900, she told a group of Southern Baptist women, I believe we have left a century of small things 
and are on the outlook for larger things, ways to work we never dreamed of in the past. So maybe she did. Good morning. Welcome to First Baptist Tipton. Uh, we are excited that you're here to worship with us this morning. Just like what Brother Wayne said a moment ago, that was a video about Annie Armstrong. And we are in the season of Easter, and during that time we will Hi, I'm Wayne Whittle, disciple of Jesus Christ, member of First Baptist Church here in Tipton, Georgia. And we'd love to have you come join us this morning. I invite you, no, I encourage you to come be with us on Sunday morning. Brother, I'd submit to you. You're here this morning. In the next few moments, if you're here with us for the very first time, we're very excited to have you here. If you will remain seated, uh, the, the musicians will play and our church membership will come and greet you as well as the ushers and you can fill out a piece of paper with us. So in the next few moments, let's just get up and say good morning to each other. If Jesus saw it fit to come to church, maybe we should too make it a matter of importance. The second component is discipleship. After all, it wasn't Jesus and the 12 dudes, it was Jesus and the 12 disciples. Remember the familiar verse, Matthew 28, 19, he said, therefore go and make disciples. There's nothing like being in a small group discussion like Sunday school class where you're sharing with one another, praying for one another. There's one thing we all have in common and that's challenges or problems. The third component is service. You know, the moment that you get saved, God equips you as a believer with spiritual gifts, all to provide ministry, to edify Him. So if you're missing either one of those, worship, discipleship, or service, I'd submit to you that you're not living up to that abundant life that Jesus promises. We'd love to have you come join us. Visit our website at fbctipton.org or give us a call. We've got someone standing by if you need prayer or if you'd like more information. It's 382-6063. We hope to see you Sunday. we got a chair waiting on you.
this morning when I was saying my prayers, I was really, really thanking God for the rain last night and yesterday, and and all. But I was thinking Him too. It's just thank you, God, for you know sparing us the the bad weather. Um, I had trucks all over South Georgia yesterday, and some that were in the the pathway of, of some of the stronger storms and. He allowed me to get them out of the way and get back, and I was just, thank you, God. And I, and I got to thinking, I said, you know, why am I think that thankful every day? You know, does it take big storms for me to realize I really, really need to be thankful to God? Now, I say thank you to God every day, don't get me wrong, but it wasn't as fervently as it was this morning. And we should have a fervent attitude to God every single morning is, is our thankfulness and gratefulness for what he does for us because God is faithful. This song speaks to that as our Lord is faithful and his love for us is so faithful to us, we in return need to be faithful to him. Reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness stretches to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Yeah. Justice flows like the ocean's tides. Sing it out to me. Stretches to the sky, and your righteousness is like the mighty mountains, yeah, and your justice flows like the ocean's tide. And I will. My voice 
Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Dear God, we're just so worthy to have you as our Savior. Lord, let's thank you that you're so much faithful. And Lord, we just come now to worship you and to bow down to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Step down into darkness, open my eyes, let me see beauty that made this heart adore you, hope of a life spent with you. And here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God, you're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. King of all so highly exalted, glorious in heaven above. Humbly you came to the earth you created, all for love's sake became holy. Here I
as we pray. Lord, we are here to worship you, to bow down and say that you are our God, Lord. We just love you and we praise your holy name. We come before you now to worship you with our tithes and offerings. We pray you just bless them, use them to further your kingdom both here and around the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Give me cheese. 
has so much. We've come to the Old Testament book of Micah in our preaching tour through the Bible. Um, and, and Micah has some great passages in it. Perhaps the most familiar passage, though, was in Micah 6, verses 6 through 8. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Micah is an unusual guy. He is, he's not polished. He's not sophisticated uh, like Isaiah was. Isaiah was a city boy and uh, preached in the, in the palace and preached to the people from, from royal backgrounds. Micah was more of a country boy. And Micah was just very plain spoken and just called things as he saw them and let the chips fall where they may. As a matter of fact, Micah thought most of the evil in the world was concentrated in the cities. Most of the vile and, and, and evil behavior that was against the Lord. So Micah wanted nothing to do with the cities. He wanted to call the people back to God for the evil things that he saw them doing. Micah 6, 6 through 8 is, a, is an unusual passage in the Old Testament. Because you've got to remember, this is about 800 years before Jesus. And uh, in this time period, the Jews are busy in their, in their temple with all the rituals, all the sacrifices, all the tithes, all the, the, the busyness of temple activity that's going on. And yet they're still living evil lives. They think that coming to church... And going through all the proper motions and rituals and making all the right offerings will atone for the way they treat their neighbor, will atone for the evil they harbor in their heart, and will atone for the, the, the injustice that they propagate in their gates. So Micah 6, 6 through 8, is, uh, is very plain spoken and directed straight to the people of Israel. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will, it, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Here's the answer. He has showed you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of thee but to do justice and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. It's not complicated. It's not a bunch of offerings. It's not a lot of money. It's not even your firstborn son that you need to offer to the Lord to atone for your sins. It's, God doesn't desire any of that. He doesn't, it doesn't please him for you to offer the, the best offering you can give if you aren't doing justice, if you are not loving kindness, if you're not walking humbly with God, all of your offerings are disgusting to him. Because the point of Micah and what he's trying to make and what so many of the prophets in the Old Testament are reiterating over and over again, don't come in and give an offering to God and then go out of church and treat your fellow man with evil. Don't come in here and go through the motions of worship and go out and take advantage of the underprivileged and those that are most vulnerable. Micah is trying to say that what you do in worship has to have meaning for how you live your life when you leave the doors of this house. And if it doesn't, then what you do in here brings no pleasure to God. Let's pray. 
Father, we come into church, and a lot of us are here at 8.30 Sunday morning when it's, when it's been raining all weekend, and, and your faithful ones are here today. But even among us, there may be the mistaken attitude that coming to church is really all we have to do to earn your favor. That coming to church and giving an offering will make up for the evil things we thought and said and did this past week or are planning to do this coming week. God, help us to see that you want us to love you not just with our actions, not just with our hands, but with our whole heart and our mind and soul and strength. You want us to love you starting with the inside and working its way out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The sermon's entitled, What Should Happen at Church? It's a question, and I'm going to talk about, kind of go at it from both ways, some things that shouldn't happen at church, and then we're going to talk about some things that should happen at church. I ran across a survey of safety tips. And I pass them along to you this morning for your own protection because I care about you and I want you to be safe. Do not ride in cars. They cause 20% of all fatal accidents. Well, with the price of gas, you can't afford to ride in cars anyway, so be careful on your bicycles. Number two, don't travel by air, rail, or water. 16% of all accidents are the result of one of these modes of transportation. Number three, don't stay at home. 17% of all accidents happen at home. Number four, do not walk on the street. 17% of all accidents happen to pedestrians. But the good news is only 0.001% of all fatal accidents, only 1 in 100,000, occur in church. So obviously, church is the safest place to be. So if you want to feel safe, come to church. I even remember uh, a lady having a heart attack about 10 or 12 years ago. Do you remember? And we had a physician, we had uh, an EMT, and they were working on her. And I saw, it was, it was during about two-thirds of the way through my sermon, and I saw this activity going on in the back of the sanctuary, and I thought revival was getting ready to break out. I didn't know what was happening, but they actually resuscitated her in church and got her to the hospital, and uh, she survived with no after effects. It was church, I'm just saying, is the safest place to be, especially if you're expecting a heart attack. So if you want to feel safe, come to church. But church might be safe physically, but that might not always be a good thing spiritually because if you come to church and all you do is feel safe and secure and comfortable, then maybe God's not working in your heart the way he wants to because part of the purpose of coming to church is to find out what God wants to change in us, to find out where we are missing the mark in our relationship with him. We come to church because we need to be stretched and probed and pushed outside of our comfort zone to realize what God is trying to do and where he's trying to bring us and what he's trying to accomplish in our lives. That's what Micah is trying to say to, to the people. They were coming to church faithfully every Sabbath, which was Friday night. They were coming to church and they were offering their burnt offerings and their cereal offerings and they were making atonement for their sins, but it had no impact whatsoever on how they lived their lives the rest of the week. 
and it was making Micah sick. And Micah says it's making God sick, too. I mean, look at what Micah's even suggestion is suggesting. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with a calves a year old? Will it please the Lord with a thousands of rams? I mean, thousands of rams. That would have been hundreds of thousands of dollars. Ten thousands rivers of oil. How many oil offerings? Libations. I mean, you can't bring that many. What about my firstborn son? Would that make God happy? No. You don't have to offer your firstborn son the New Testament because God has offered his firstborn son to forgive us of our sins. But we've got to admit our sins and we've got to let God so infiltrate our lives and our minds and our hearts that it has bearing on how we live throughout the week. What is upsetting Micah is that the children of Israel are, are going through all the superficial piety of the Sabbath. But when they leave, they don't care about the poor who are hungry or the, the disadvantaged who are, taken, who are, are um, abused in the court system. They don't care about the widows and orphans who are, who are starving. And Micah says... Don't go through the motions on the Sabbath if it's not going to impact how you live. So what should happen when we come to church? The first thing, and it's in your order of worship, I've got a little outline for you, is that you should learn to love God with your hearts and not just with your hands. What does that mean? That means, once again, that if you're just going through the motions of loving God and you, it doesn't really affect how you live and doesn't affect what's on the inside it makes no difference it accomplishes nothing in other words for us in the New Testament going to church and being a Christian are not the same thing and I face this misunderstanding a lot I'll, I'll go into homes and ask people what do you think it takes for a person to go to heaven. And so often they'll say, well, I think you've got to go to church and be a good person and hope in the end that that gets you by. Nowhere in the Bible is that listed as a requirement for salvation. We come to church because we love God and we want to worship him who has already saved us. We want to worship the God who's offering us salvation if we're not saved. But nowhere does it say that coming to church is what saves you. No, Jesus saves you. The relationship with God through Jesus Christ who died on the cross is what saves you. Now, I'm not saying that church attendance is not important, but I don't want you to get the impression that church attendance is all that God requires of you. God desires a relationship, and that's made possible through Jesus Christ. And when you have that relationship with him, you want to spend time with him. You want to be in a, a, a relationship with him. You want to have a quiet time where you can read the Bible and, and, and talk to him about it and, and make some notes and, and ask him what he's trying to teach you in it and work through it and see how he's trying to change your life. And when you're in a relationship with God and that friendship deepens, then, you, then you, the only proper response is humble worship. We come before him and we bow down and we praise his name for what he's done for us. That's what Micah is blasting away at. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? 
Micah 6, 6. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, calves a year old? No. Not if it doesn't affect how you live. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousands rivers of oil? No. It doesn't matter how much you give. It doesn't matter if you... If you're a multimillionaire and you're feeling guilty and you give God all your wealth, it doesn't matter if it doesn't affect you and your heart and your relationship with him. Isaiah 1, verses 11 and 12 say the same thing. Remember, Isaiah's preaching in the city. Micah's preaching in the country. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and fat of fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of he goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires you this trampling in my courts? Bring no more vain offerings, is what Isaiah says. So apparently the problem is prevalent in that day. Isaac and Micah are contemporaries of one another, just preaching in different parts of the nation. The people are coming. They're going through the motions, but they're still living evil lives. And it makes Micah and Isaiah sick, and it disgusts God. In my last church, I had a a wonderful man who was, he was just kind-hearted. His name was Decatur Bostick. We called him D.R. Bostick. He was chairman of the Benevolence Committee, and whenever... Someone came through town and needed help. I'd call him, and he and I would go and visit. And I remember several Saturday evenings and, and Sunday mornings, folks were coming through and, and coming to, turning to the church for help. He was just a wonderful man. He was uh, the, the power company there in Marion, South Carolina. He was the, the director of that power company. And so an influential man in the community. But uh, he told me a story one day about his conversation with a former pastor in the church named Dr. Ben Allen. Mr. Bostick told me that he and Ben Allen were walking down the streets of Marion one day and they saw a drunk staggering down the streets and eventually fall into the gutter. And uh, Decatur Bostick didn't miss that. And he pointed it out to, to preacher Allen and he said, look, Dr. Allen, there's a, there's a drunk and he's falling out and he's, you know, he's in the gutter. Doesn't that, isn't that sad? Doesn't that make you sick? And Ben Allen looked at Decatur and said, Yes, Decatur, but his sins I can see. It's your sins I worry about. His sins I can see. It's your sins I worry about. You see, because we are so adept at hiding our sins, keeping them right below the surface, being on our best behavior in church, But God knows how we live the rest of the week. And in that time, if what we do in church has no bearing in how we live, then what we do in church means very little to God. So the first thing that that should happen when you come to church is it's not sacrifices and it's not offerings that please the Lord. It's a relationship with him, loving him with your heart and not just your hands. And then worship is an overflow of that a result of that. The second thing that should happen when you come to church is that we should be prepared to face the world. A lot of people use the church as a place to escape from the world. I never will understand, I guess, the monastic system, monks who go out and, and spend all their time in a monastery and, and cut off their complete contact with the world 
in order to worship God and devote themselves to him more fully. I, you know, I understand the worship part, but part of worship for me is driving us to do something in the world. We come in here to get our, we don't come in here to hide. We don't come in here to stick our heads in the sand. We come in here to get our batteries charged, to get our tanks full, to get our windows washed, so that we can head back into the world and fulfill the calling to which God has called us. He's called us to be his light and his salt out in the world. And we, we come into church to get the reserves built up. We need to go and accomplish just that. This is not a place to run and hide. I realize sometimes we need peace from a crazy world. We come in here and, and we find sanctuary. We find a place where we can find some distance from all the crazy things happening around us and, and spend some time with God. But along with that, we also come in here and we have the opportunity to receive his spirit more fully, to go out into the world and pour it out. Paul says the same thing in Romans. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this world. In other words, don't let the world shape you into being more like it. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we're not being conformed in the world, but we're coming in here and we're allowing God to transform our minds and our bodies and our hearts. And then once he has us, then we can go out into the world and transform the world. We can conform the world to the Lord because the kingdom of God is here on earth and he's calling the world to himself. So rather than us being pulled down to the world's level, we need to pull the world up to the Lord. Transforming the world rather than being conformed to it. We should be prepared to face the world when we come in here. The third thing we need to learn, this is real simple, is that God loves and accepts us just as we are. Did you hear that? God loves and accepts us just as we are. Sometimes I'll be talking to folks and, and asking them to come to Jesus, and they'll say, I'm not good enough yet. I'm not at that point yet in my life where I feel like I deserve him. And I'll say, you're exactly at the point you need to be. Because the moment you realize that you aren't good enough, the moment you realize that there's nothing you can do to deserve his love, to merit his favor. That's the moment that he can come into your life and save you and forgive you of your sins and become your Lord and Savior. When you think you're good enough, when you think you can earn salvation, that's when you're nowhere near the point of salvation. Because it's not until you hit rock bottom that you've tried every avenue, that you've tried everything else to save yourself and realize how fruitless and, and problematic that can be, that's when God can get into your heart and begin working and say, you don't have to do anything. You can't be good enough. There's nothing you can do to earn this, but I give it to you freely because of what Jesus has done for you. 
The fourth thing that should happen when you come into the church is that you should learn how to care more deeply for the needs of others. We should care more deeply for the needs of others. Because when you hear the words of Jesus, words like Matthew 25 that say, When did we see thee thirsty and give thee drink? Or when did we see thee hungry and feed thee? Or when did we see thee naked and clothe thee or in prison and visit thee? And Jesus says, Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So when you care about people, when you minister to people, when you help those who are hungry or hurting or thirsty or in prison, when you minister to them, you're doing it to Jesus. There was a study done in the, uh, Ameri- the Journal for the Scientific Study of Religion. And in that study, thank goodness, it showed that churchgoers were more likely to come to the aid of those suffering around them than non-churchgoers. Churchgoers were more likely to come to the aid of those suffering around them than non-churchgoers. And that's the way it should be. We, we have a disaster relief team here in Georgia. We have several groups right here in our church that go and help after hurricanes and tornadoes, that go and feed when people's kitchens are down, that, that go and, and help clean up after a storm when things are falling apart. And I imagine that's happening right now in Illinois and Kentucky, Baptist Relief Centers, disaster relief. A lot of times the Red Cross will work through Baptist Relief Agencies because we have people set up and ready to go, volunteers ready to work, and resources ready to bring to bear when that disaster happens. I know, like like me, you have been watching uh, the, the news about these past few days and in those states where tornadoes have come through, and it's heartbreaking. Uh, and we want to do something to help. And, and when you see somebody suffering, when you see somebody standing in front of, ho- of a house that has fallen in, it's heartbreaking. You realize they lose all their worldly possessions. But I heard one lady on the television last night, so sweet, talking about church members who came in. and were, She didn't call anybody. People just started showing up, and they were retrieving her valuables and, and uh, <clears throat> a house that she had lived, her family lived in for three generations. The roof completely gone. And, and folks coming in from church just helping her, and, and she found a blessing standing in front of her house that had caved in because of those church members and what they were doing and how they were ministering to her in their time of need. When you come into church, it should prick your heart so much that when people are suffering, you cannot remain apathetic or quiet about it any further. The fifth and final thing that should happen when you come into church is that it should get a hold of your life and change it. If you're headed in one direction before you come in, when you leave, you should be headed in another direction because you should be walking beside God when you leave here. You should be in a relationship with him that, that affects you, that impacts you, that changes you. And you've got to be open to whatever he wants you to do. If you're, if you're holding something back and saying, God, you know, I want, to, I, want, I want to be with you and I want to work with you and I want you to work through me, but don't ask me to do this. You're tying his hands. See, the truth is, he may not want you to do that. But how much do you trust him to love you enough to provide what you need? I remember, I remember that so distinctly in my own life. I was feeling called to the ministry 
but I was scared of being a missionary. And I said, God, you know, I'll do whatever you want me to do in my life, but please, I don't want to be a missionary to China. I don't know why I said that, but that was my prayer. I don't want to be a missionary to China. And as long as I kept saying that, God was silent. It broke off our communication. And after several months of his silence, you know, I finally caved in. And I said, God, I realize you made me and you call me, and you're not going to ask me to do something that makes me miserable. You know what, how I tick, and you know how I'm wired. And if you know that being a missionary to China is what I need to do to be the happiest possible person, I trust you with that. So wherever you want to send me and whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do. And that's when I began to hear God speak again. And he said, Wayne, I don't need you to be a missionary to China right now. I just need you to be willing to be. And, and, and maybe I will call you to missions one day, but right now you prepare for the ministry and the pastorate. And let me use you there for a while, and, and then keep the doors open. Keep the lines of communication open. Trust me enough to know what's best for you and to ask you to do what I know will make you happy. We have eight people leaving for Peru next Saturday from our church. And um, we're going to be praying for them today. Is this a way they want to spend their spring break? A few years ago, probably not. But you know what? When, when you realize the needs of missions and when you realize the difference it can make in the lives of those folks in Peru, a pastor named Oscar who's discouraged because he keeps getting people together and, and, and things keep driving apart, when you realize what it does to you when you go on a mission trip. And incidentally, they have an extra ticket. Somebody had to cancel out. So if you want to go uh, to Peru next Saturday for about 10 days, let us know. We'll, we'll hook you up. But uh, you never know when you come into worship what God's going to ask you to do. And you've got to be willing to do it. So that's it. When you come into church, don't come in just to feel safe. Come in to love God with your heart, not just your hands. Come in to be prepared to go out and face the world, not hide from it. Come in to, to realize that God loves you and accepts you just as you are, and there's nothing you can do to earn it or deserve it. Come in to learn to care more deeply for others, to have God's heart and God's eyes for the needs around you. And come in to be caught by a vision and a passion to love people to serve the Lord. If you come into church like that, then what we do in here will change who you are. And that's what God desires. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you that, that you love us just as we are, and there's nothing we need to do to, to earn it or accept it. But just humbly admit our need and say, God, we are sinners. Please forgive us. Come into our hearts and use us. Teach us, O oh Lord. Give us such a hunger and thirst for you that we'll spend time with you. And out of that time with you, you'll change our hearts and our minds. And we'll love as you love and we'll serve as your son served here on earth. And we won't hold anything back, but whatever you call us to do, 
if it's a mission trip, if it's to be a missionary, if it's to, to serve others right where we are, we won't be afraid. We won't say, God, I'll do everything except this because we don't want to tie your hands.